Hi, I'm Eric Humphrey, and this is Creatives Talk. This podcast was birthed from a simple idea of giving back to the creative community. Every week I have the opportunity to speak with some of the most creative, driven, and inspiring individuals I've had the chance to meet. I hope their stories inspire you to live a more creative life. excited to be here with Maya Washington, aka Shameless Maya, who is an amazing creative. I got the chance to shoot about a month ago. She's from Toronto and has worked on so many projects, built a brand and started her career, I want to say. Started really digging into her career in like 2012 and started the life of Shameless. So yes, <laughs> thank you for your time. I know you're extremely busy. So I will try to get as much information out of you as quickly as possible. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Just to start, tell me about your background, like how you got into being a creative, being from Toronto, what that community was like. Man, I, I would say like I picked up my first camera at 18 years old. And from there, I started working at a photo lab and developing black and white and color film. This was a thing back then before digital. (laughs) And I remember when people started to drop off their digital files for printing, I was like, this is awful. This looks hideous. Like, because digital wasn't the same as it was today. So I was like, definitely never converting to that world. But then eventually I saw the tech getting better and then photographers learning quicker. So I was like, man, I should probably, (laughs) I should probably do this because I would have to wait sometimes weeks to get films developed. Sometimes it would be like a slide film or like a special developing that I had to send in for custom developing. And I was just like, man, I'm at a disadvantage because I'm learning slower because I don't see my work quick enough. And you can see it right away with digital. So that was photography. And then I guess prior to that, I had always been, I guess, in the performance industry, like as a dancer or even an actor, I started dance when I was, I want to say like 14 or 15, I would take like hip hop classes and oh, then wow. that evolved into um, performing arts in theater. And then I went to classical theater school at a well-known school in Toronto called George Brown or the Young Performing Arts Center now. But it was really just, I feel like most people are creative. I just never outgrew it. I never stopped arts and crafts <laughs> from kindergarten. So so was it something your parents were involved in or? Well, my mom, I would just say my mom was like the queen of DIY. So I would learn how to be creative just by working with not enough. We just were poor. So she was super creative in that. And then my dad, he was a photographer and also an actor. So I didn't know about the photography thing. I just knew he acted. And I, when I started to get into that, because it started off with dance, then photography, what, dance, acting, then photography. But they're all like, now it's like all in one. <laughs> but my mom would be so resentful with me for pursuing acting and photography. And I didn't know why. It wasn't until I was older that I was like, oh. Oh, wow. <laughs> my so- dad did that. So I'm just reminding her of my dad and they're not together. Got it. So... What made you pick up that camera at 18? And I actually picked it up when I moved out here. I was 18 years old and I moved here to California for like just under a, a year doing this student work abroad program. So I was like the only person who was young working at, at the time, a car dealership, Lexus Santa Monica. <laughs> I had no friends. And I was like, this place is beautiful. There's palm trees everywhere. So I randomly went to a store, bought... An SLR, not a DSLR, Uh (laughs) an SLR. And I just started taking photos of everything when I was here. When I got back to Toronto, I couldn't get a job. So I was just like taking photos for fun of my family and friends. And I kept dropping my film off at the photo lab. And the manager there, he saw me getting better and better. And he's like, are you you looking for a job? So then he gave me a job. Ryan, Ryan, he gave me my job. (laughs) So with your mom not being extremely supportive with every with the photography, how were you able to continue to push forward and do it at such a young age and not say, well, my mom doesn't want me to do this. I'm going to stop. I mean, my mom didn't approve of a lot of things. <laughs> She's Catholic. <laughs> so she didn't approve of any creative because she didn't see how that could pay for bills. And I guess to her point, then she had like my dad who was creative and not supporting us kids financially. 
So for her, I think she was just being triggered every time I was trying to be creative. She's like, this is not going to help. And then she's just thinking about like the trauma of being a single mother raising two kids. It did affect me to the point where I was taking um, musical theater in high school. And then I, I stopped. I went to university for business management. Whoa, business <laughs> management. What the I hell? I was finance. <laughs> so I did that and I did a semester and I was like, I can't. This is draining. Like I, I couldn't understand how people could do school. So I did a full year, even though I knew after the first semester I was, this wasn't for me. And then I had to. I dropped out. Then I came out here to California to like find myself <laughs> or at least just see something else besides Toronto. And then when I came back, couldn't get a job, started doing photography. And then I applied to theater school and I got in and it was a really vigorous process to get in. And it's super like exclusive. But yeah, I think when I got into theater school and even even then she was like kind of supportive. It wasn't until I moved out to Vancouver which is like another lifetime ago as well, that she was like, she's doing this. She's not going to quit. I might as well support her. And she would start to send me articles to read, to stay inspired. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was really cute. <laughs> At a young age, like a lot of kids, if their parents say, you know, this isn't going to work, you shouldn't do this, maybe you should think about something else, that affects them and impacts them. And it takes a certain type of person to be like, this is in my heart. This is what I need to do. Well, I tried it. I did try it. I was like, okay, let's try it her way. So I went to like business school, but then it went against everything in my body. Like I literally couldn't retain information. I wasn't good at school, like in the classroom setting. I would have to study three times harder than the average person just to get an average grade. Oh, wow. And I was just like, I can't, I, this is not processing. So with theater and photography, where I, well, photography was just self-taught. So I didn't, I picked it up naturally. I didn't have to go to school. I thought about going to school when I saw the tuition. I was like, what? <laughs> Let me take my money <laughs> and buy a camera <laughs> uh -huh. and some film. And that was my tuition. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so after theater school and moving out to Vancouver, what was, what happened? Well, after theater school, did you immediately move to Vancouver or did something else happen? Yeah. After theater school, Actually, I was kicked out of theater school. <laughs> okay. It's like this big thing that is actually in the news right now. And the news about you? No, no, no. Oh. It was about like, you know how the whole like Me Too movement, yeah. the teachers and the faculty were a bit excessive and, you know, things were happening back then. But at the time, you're just, it's just a very strict program. But they criticized everyone, first of all, but they criticized me for being too urban being too black, which is so funny because if you look at me, everything is all relative depending on where you are. And yeah. they would think, oh, you need to speak better English. You need to travel and see more of the world. And I'm like, wait a minute, you have kids here that are white that have been born and raised in farms. I'm telling you, like, this is Toronto City, but these kids were flying in or driving in from farmlands and they're more cultured than me. I was like, I highly doubt that. But if you're talking about exposure to certain Western literature, sure, I don't. I yeah. don't. But that's why I'm here to learn. But they just had this elitist attitude. So I did two years and every year they cut people because you start out with 30 students and then you end up with 15 to do like an actual show. Um, so myself and a few of my close friends got cut um, and their excuse was, oh, stick to commercials. Don't do theater. Don't do classical theater. And I was just like, bet. Like, you guys are teachers. You're supposed to teach students. Yeah. So that kind of, that affected me a lot. I couldn't do any kind of acting. And at the time I was a working actor. Like, although I did a lot of commercials because I had a dance background and had big curly hair. So I'm that girl swinging her hair back and <laughs> forth. And then I was like, I need a break. So I stopped acting. I focused more on photography. But with me, it always comes in waves and seasons. One season, I'll be more focused behind the camera, the next in front. So I decided to move to Vancouver and try my luck there because it was the North Hollywood in Canada. And I did get a lot of work there as supporting, supporting roles that ended up getting chopped on the cutting room floor of the editor's room. But 
it was a lot of experience. And I would also do my photography for myself, like creatives on the weekend. But yeah, I always juggled both of them. So when you moved to Vancouver, did you have family out there? Did you have support I had system? no family out there. None. But you wanted, you went there because that was the Hollywood of Canada? Yeah, and I didn't... I was living with my mom up until that point. I hadn't really... Well, besides my little stint in L.A., but I hadn't lived on my own, like moved out and be an adult. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, where can I go that's not exactly like Toronto and just like a completely different setting versus the U.S. Because I had been at this point to more cities in the U.S. than I had in Canada. Oh, wow. So I decided to go to Vancouver. It was really, it was beautiful. And it had like a different, it's kind of like L.A. where the, the vibe is just outdoors, lifestyle. But then they still have the work and the hustle. A little, a, a little. little, a little. So were you able to support yourself? In I was, I had so like my, it's so random. Like I was a body double for Janet Jackson <laughs> and I, there was like no black people there that I was always working in terms of random roles of like stand in body double one liners. And I mean, it, it sounds, but it pays well. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you're in the union I had been in the union. So. So you had your mom telling you it wasn't going to work, and then you had your teachers basically telling you you should try something different. How did you not allow that to affect you and have the strength and courage to move to Vancouver to pursue it? Ultimately, like, it did affect me, and it slowed me down. Like, I took time off from photography, and I took time off of acting because of what they said. But I was so unhappy doing life the way that they wanted me to. Like, I tried the whole, you know, I was about to say commercial life, but (laughs) (laughs) I tried, I mean, I did it and I was just, I appreciate it, but I'm about evolution and evolving and growing. So I did it. I, yes, this is cool, but I want to challenge myself. And same with my mom's whole, like get a secure job in business management, whatever that means. And I tried it, but I'm just like, this doesn't feel right. I would rather live a life where at least I'm trying to do what I enjoy doing versus doing something that I cannot stand. I can't imagine my life being lived any other way. And then I just always think of when I die, am I going to look back and regret what I've done? And I'm just like, I don't want to die living the life that my mom wanted. She got to have her life and she lived it the way she wanted to. And I'm grateful for it because she sacrificed a lot for me. But now it's my chance. I get to live out my life because it's my life, not hers. So... I think that's the only thing that kept me stubborn enough to go. And I'm a Taurus. (laughs) (laughs) Taurus is in the building. Taurus season! (laughs) So how long did you stay in Vancouver? I was in Vancouver for three years. Three years. And so after Vancouver, what was next for you? Um, After Vancouver was New York. Now, another side story, when I moved to Vancouver, I had been living with my mom, but I had also started dating my boyfriend at the time and he was based in New York and he's he was like this like love bug and on our (laughs) one year (laughs) on our one year anniversary he proposed to me so we were engaged so I was engaged I can't I can't even do the math but I was engaged young but the idea of living with my mom and then living with him I was just like no this is like I can't I need to like know what life is like on my own two feet. Hence me also going to Vancouver. So wait, so you got engaged while you were living with your mom and then you moved to Vancouver and your fiance was in New York. Yeah. So you're like, okay, I'm going to move the furthest possible place (laughs) from my fiance. (laughs) So I can live on my own. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Right? Signs right there. Girl, run. (laughs) But then eventually, but so we were our we were doing the whole long distance thing. Every month we would fly out to see each other. But then eventually we came to a point where we're like, "What are we doing? Are we doing this or not?" And then I was like, "Because you know, in my mind, I don't know. I I I don't know what I was waiting for. Maybe more financial security. But we also looked at our finances. We're like, we're spending all this money flying to see each other, and." It was just like, okay, well, we either should break up or we should get married. And so we tried the whole breakup thing and that lasted about a month. And then 
I don't know how we ended up getting back together. We got back together. We were just like, I think we might have said, like, let's do a one-month break and see. I can't remember. It's been a while. Uh-huh. But then we were like, let's just do this. So we got married in New York. And I didn't want to get, I didn't want to move to New York. I New York wasn't part of my plan. I wanted to go from Vancouver back to LA because I had already been to LA. Um, it could be a clean start for both of us. But he was really stuck in New York. So my mom's like, well, it's okay. You can help him. Cause I guess he needed motivation or whatever. So I was like, man, fine. So that's why I moved to New York. I didn't actually want to move to New York. So what is always, what has been your draw to want to come to LA though? I mean, I'm not sh- the weather maybe. Come on. I'm from <laughs> Toronto. It's <laughs> snowy. <laughs> you gotta like shovel the driveway, put salt down, bundle up layers. That's not cute. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Okay. So you moved to New York and I mean, that weather is the same as Toronto, but what was your experience in New York? Man, my experience, it was struggle. It was such, everything about New York was a struggle. My marriage was a struggle because I would say what I brought to the relationship was the inspiration and like the positivity of one, my family, or two, Canada. Like Canada, Toronto and Vancouver, these these metropolitan cities, they're just such positive places for families and even young couples. I would say Vancouver is like the capital of young couples and like retired people in Canada. When I was there, I was like, this is cute, but I don't want this. Like, I'm not there yet. I want to keep growing and evolving. So going to New York, now we no longer have the positive inspiring environment of the country or my family. So it's just his world and his world. I didn't know it. I I knew it, but I didn't know to the extent of how negative it was to actually live in it. Cause we were living in like the projects. And I was just like, this, this is a lot like roaches, drugs, like stairwells, guys pissing. Like it was just like, and I didn't take the elevator. I took the stairs. So I'd always like have to like bolt. But to go from Vancouver, which is mountains and ocean and snowboarding and skiing and yeah. kayaking to like Harlem projects, it was just like, what the fuck am I doing? And I was just like, it's okay. You love him. Like, this is what you do with love. And blah. But it just really, it that along with not having my network of people I know in the industry. So I know, I lo- I know no one. I'm working as a cocktail waitress. I don't know anyone in photography. I don't know anyone in acting. But working as a cocktail waitress in New York, and I'm like a hustler, I'm always like talking to people. So there was a an event photographer there and we ended up exchanging numbers. I'm like, yeah, if you ever need an assistant, you know, let me know. I'll be down to do whatever. <laughs> I'll work for free. It's and He's been a great friend and inspiration, but like he kind of like helped get my foot in the door with photography. So I went from assisting him to assisting, you know, these larger shoots and campaigns and seeing how they do things in New York. And then I eventually started working at a, a photo studio in New York and, oh, and then I ended up getting a, a voice agent for voiceover acting because I had a voice demo. I didn't have much else besides that, but. You didn't have, did you, you didn't have your reel that you built? I mean, cause all the things Vancouver? that I did were like one liners. Like, got it. Yeah. Hey girl. <laughs> 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 it was so, and then a lot of the times, like the roles, that's another thing I, I caught on in Vancouver because Canada offers tax breaks to production companies. They all flood to film, but they get tax breaks if they hire X amount of Canadian talent. Yeah. So they hire us, they give us jobs, but then they cut our roles when they're editing or when they're filming. Sometimes they don't even shoot our roles. So it's just like, oh, I went to theater school and, and wasted all my money and time for, I mean, yes, I'm getting paid, but I'm not getting paid to do anything. Yeah. So that's just like, what the hell am I doing with my life? So um, at least with voice acting, I, you could just you know record your voice in GarageBand and make a voice demo. So that's what I did. <laughs> <laughs> and made it seem like I had all this work, but I ended up getting work from it. I ended up doing like voice work for McDonald's and a lot of children's books. Oh, wow. Yeah. While you were in New York. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so what even gave you the foresight to say, I'm going to create a garage band demo 
and use that as voice versus like that seems so foreign to me. If oh, I want right. to be an actor or something, I'm going to be like, I need to be filming. Mm-hmm. I'm not even going to think about doing voiceovers. I mean, because you're not an actor. But if you were an actor, <laughs> you'd probably consider it. And back when I was a kid, we had those tape decks. So I would always record my voice. I'd always do interviews. So I'm always re- I'm always doing cr- something creative. When you are trying to make it in an industry that's saying no to you, you are forced to think creatively. So if I can't get a job on film, like acting, then I'm just like, well, what else can you do, trick? So it's like, record your voice. And then, so I got an agent, so (laughs) the rest is history. But I mean, if you want something bad enough, you will figure a way out. Very true. Yeah. Very true. So from a photography standpoint, Mm -hmm. you're working as a cocktail waitress, Mm -hmm. and then you meet a event photographer. Mm -hmm. What made you even want to go speak to him? Because- that wasn't, was that even a lane of photography that you had experienced or wanted to get into? At this point, I had been shooting, oh God, I don't even know, years. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do the math. But I had been doing wedding photography, headshots. Like I did everything. I, was, I started off in fashion, then got into um, headshots because of all my friends were actors. Then I got in Vancouver, I was doing interior design photography because that's what I could get. And then in New York, all my friends and family were getting married back home. So I'd fly out to photograph their weddings. So I felt that whatever he needed help with, I, I had enough experience doing all of it. But I'm just at helping. So I'm just like, whatever. And I had got a job at a photo studio. So I had experience. I guess that was after. But I had experience assisting. Nice. And what type of thing, what was the biggest things that you learned um, from doing the assisting, working at the photo studio and working with that event photographer. My life has been this whole thing of like, do it all. <laughs> <laughs> so because I have such, like I incorporate my life into my work and vice versa, my eye is always going a million miles an hour. Like I, every moment I see is a moment. So it helped me in terms of photography because I have that fashion angle so I can photograph a bride with that lens or I have even event or documentary style photography. So it lends itself even to like YouTube when I'm just vlogging or filming. But I think it's just being present and being aware of your surroundings because there's always an opportunity. And the more you see pictures from like a, a wider lens, you'll just see that there's more out there versus, you know, I focus and I hone in on this one thing. I think that's great because that that was actually the difference between myself and my brother because my brother is also in the, actually my whole family is in the creative industry, but he's a creative director. And he'd always tell me, he's like, you have to hone in and focus and like, stop trying to do it all. Like just do this one thing and do it great. And I'm like, that does work. But then that person also eventually evolves into they want to try something new. They want to expand. I just happen to do all of that simultaneously. Obviously, you can only do one thing at a time, but you're you're eventually going to want to challenge yourself. I just challenged myself sooner in the process. So, and it's interesting you say that because to do it all philosophy, like you hear so many people right. saying, you need to focus on one thing, focus, focus on this, and don't spread yourself so thin. Uh, yeah, but you've been able to do it all. And find success in that. I think my success comes because I've done it all for so long. Like in the beginning, most people will start like, you know, actually I'm I'm making this skit, which is so funny. But I have this character who's a photographer. She has a shea butter line and, and jewelry. Most people get this brilliant I, three ideas or whatever, how many ideas. And they try to start it all at once. But most of them quit because they don't have success with me. I guess I started like there might've been like chapters. Like I did dance two years before I started doing photography and then acting. And I did focus in the sense that like some seasons I'd focus more on photography than I would acting. So you can't technically do it all at once, but you can do it all eventually. Yeah. <laughs> And it just takes discipline and it did slow me down. So I, my success probably could have happened sooner if I just focused in on one thing, but that's just my chapter and not everyone is good at 
multitasking. You know, some people really do need to like hone in and buckle down and focus on one thing and do that good before they move on. Um, and even when I was in theater school, I focused on theater. And then on weekends, I would do photography. I wasn't doing like acting Monday, photography Tuesday. I am now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I would say you have to just be honest with yourself. You can always listen to what people have to say, but you have to like listen to yourself and know yourself well enough to know like what makes the most sense for you. That's amazing because you have just hearing your story, you have like this resilience to take the information that people very close to you will give you yeah. and say, this isn't for me. And a lot yeah. of people, when someone close to you gives you that information, it's a lot harder to be like, maybe they're right and I'm wrong. Right. And that's why you have to just listen to yourself. And it's it's important to listen to what other people have to say, like get input. I have so much valuable input from my friends and my family. But ultimately, when you go to bed at night and you close your eyes, like who's the voice that you're listening to? Is it theirs or is it God's? And I just, I do my best to just listen to the voice of God. That's amazing. <laughs> so you're in New York, you're pursuing photography, you're working at a photo studio, you're assisting people, you're doing voiceover. What happens next? I'm struggling and I'm poor. <laughs> okay. And you're married. <laughs> and I'm married, which is like just a foul combination. And my friend, it was actually her idea. She's like, you know, you should probably look into getting into YouTube because you technically know how to operate a camera and you also went to theater school so you can be a performer in front of the camera. And I was like, girl, like, ew, what? <laughs> YouTube? Because I wasn't like, I wasn't a subscriber. Like I didn't even know you subscribe to people on YouTube. I was just on YouTube for, like DIYs. I'm like, I need to fix a light in my bathroom. How do I fix a light or how do I fix this plumbing? That's the only reason I went onto YouTube. And then, you know, I, I kept thinking about it. I'm like, who the heck is on YouTube? Cause I just associated with cats and dogs, <laughs> but I, I was like, you know, she has a point. Like I should, try it. But I'm like, why, what is this resistance that I have with YouTube? And I realized it was this kind of shame and embarrassment because even though I had, you know, I was struggling to pay bills, I still had this whole like facade of like, Oh, I'm a photographer. And like my website looks like this. And, you know, I work with these people. It's just, and it's all BS. Like, uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> like, yes, your shit looks good, girl, but you are living in the projects and your marriage sucks and you are like miserable. So what the hell just try, try to do it. What do you have to lose? I literally w was at a point where it's like, I have not a whole lot left to lose. I could still lose more for sure. But I was like, let's just try it and let's just see. And that's where the whole shameless came from. I'm like, well, this this whole question that you've been asking yourself for a month, because it took about a month. It's like, I should just answer that on on this like YouTube thing. And I should. And so my first video was what would happen if I was shameless for a year? So that was my very first video. And I didn't know where I was going with it. And I eventually figured it out. I mean, did I? <laughs> I mean, I think six years have, later. Six years later, you got over a million people following your shameless life on YouTube. So yeah. I think you've done a good job of figuring it out and probably helping a lot of people figure it out for themselves. Yeah. But it's been a journey, you know, like, and it's funny because the things that I was told back then, like, you can't do this, you got to focus. I'm like, 2018, everyone is their own videographer, their own sound engineer, their own graphic designer. Like, I was just ahead of my curve back then. But like now I'm just like, oh, <laughs> Girl, a keep lot up. More people. <laughs> but it, when you started in 2012 and you made the first video after that, what made you say, I'm going to keep doing this? Like, I kept going because it was fun. I literally was just having fun. And then my marriage was really going downhill. The more I started to edit and film and just have fun. The more, the more he got, I don't know what path, I can't speak for his path, but we were just going in opposite paths. And it like, it felt as if he hated whatever kind of happiness I had. So we just kept going in separate directions. And then eventually like it ended, it ended pretty, uh, it ended pretty bad, but I was grateful for the experience because it just 
kept pushing me. Like I literally, because it was so awful being home, I literally would just go in my room and just film and edit. And, and then when he left, then it was like my, my career literally just took off. It was like, I got rid of 280 pounds of just dead weight, just oh, holding wow. me back. So when you started your videos, you make the first one. Mm-hmm. How long did it take before people started noticing them and watching them? Like, I know people make YouTube videos, they get like six views and three of them was right. their mama yeah, and yeah, their yeah. cousins. Well, I did have my friends at the time, they had this channel called Those Girls Are Wild. And they really helped promote me. So we, instead of getting like three, I don't, actually don't know the numbers, but instead of like getting like, you know, 300 views, I get 3,000. I was just like, oh my God, thanks. On like your first couple of videos? I, I honestly can't remember, remember, but yeah. I, I think so. Like, I think it was like, I was getting, I can't remember to be honest, but I remember it was like, oh, people are watching. And I would say it was thanks to Andrea Lewis for like putting me on her channel, on her platform with my other friend, Shannon Boudram. So that was like the start of it. But then like, it's just started to trickle off because it was like, oh, that's exciting. But then it's just like, well, who cares? (laughs) (laughs) Nobody cares. (laughs) And then they're just like, talk about your hair. Like we love your hair. We love your hair. And I'm just like, why would I talk about my hair? And then again, I felt another resistance. So every time I feel resistance, I'm like, what is that about? So I was just like, just try it, Maya. It's an experiment. Who knows? So I, I film a hair tutorial and it, that goes viral. And I was like, what? <laughs> I'm out here talking about like promoting yourself and pushing beyond your comfort zone and being shameless. And everyone cares about my hair. I was just like, wow, this is interesting. And then I'd go back to how to like shamelessly promote yourself. And then the views were just night and day, like the hair... And the beauty tutorials got like t- at least 10 times more views than the other videos. So I'm just like, I could keep doing that. But I just knew for me, I always wanted to like just check in. So I'd always, again, I cannot stay like focused in one lane. Like your girl has to be all over the place. So I always did videos, whether it was like beauty, but then I'll have like a chit chat, a vlog, inspiration, fitness. I basically treated my YouTube channel like, as a digital journal, just sharing where and I'm at. For the first year, did you do 365 videos? Oh no, I did one video. I said in my very first video, I'm gonna do one video every other week because I knew it was gonna take a while. But I said I would like promote on Twitter, Instagram, all those other platforms. And of them, the ones that did well for me were YouTube and Instagram. And so as you started getting more and more views, how long did it take before you started actually making a living off of it? On my one year, I shaved my hair live on my YouTube channel. And I knew I was going to do that after my first hair tutorial because I was just like, this is not okay. You cannot appreciate what I'm talking about with this hair on my head, distracting my message. So I was like, oh, you know, that'd be funny if I just shaved my hair on my one year. So I knew like a year before I was going to do that. And I would say that's really when my channel took off. When you shaved your head. Yeah. Cause it was live. And it was like, at the time I was like making a big hype about it. Like, watch me April 20, whatever, 24th and shave my hair live. Huh. Yeah. Wow. So, are you still living in New York at this time or had you transitioned? No, I was living in New York. Yeah. Still in New York. And, but your marriage had ended. It ended. What kept you in New York and why didn't you go back to Toronto or Vancouver? I, cause I wanted to see New York through my own eyes. Cause I had seen it through his lens and I was like, let me try to see New York for New York instead of what I saw. Like I saw it through like projects and it was just awful. And then I lived in this really rough neighborhood where there literally was shootings I I counted one time in the summer, there were 10 shootings back to back. And I wasn't like on the news. Like I'm literally Uh walking or I'm in my house and I hear shootings. So I did that for a year and I was like, you know what? So wait, this is after you moved, you were living in a neighborhood where there were 10 shootings back to back after you were no longer No, actually I moved out of the projects around the corner thinking like, oh, this is like a nicer neighborhood but it's like oh no 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 you're not you may not be in the projects but this is where all the people shoot because it's not in the projects and there's no cops on this block 
So there was like, I think I was surrounded by three projects and then they would all do the shooting there because it wasn't a project and it was like right beside a park. It was bad. So I did that. <laughs> I tried it, but I, I think it was that combination with me flying to LA for jobs, for work. And then I would, I literally would end up flying back to New York, just sleep. And I say this now, like, oh, it was, <clears throat> it was like shootings and this and that. But I, I did enjoy New York for the hustle. And like New York is where I saw people being shameless. That's like the city. I will always give New York the credit for it inspired me to be shameless. And because I had to hit rock bottom to like think outside the box. And I wouldn't have thought like that in Toronto or Vancouver or L.A. where it's like nice and comfortable and loving and happy but like new york really was like oh we're gonna we're gonna turn you out or you're gonna like fall down and i i know i keep saying this but the more you tell your story the more i just really feel like your level of resilience is unmatched because you go from living with your husband to the marriage ending mm -hmm. to staying in new york in an environment that's dangerous when most people would have said I'm going to move back home to Toronto. Right. I'm going to move back to Vancouver where it's beautiful yeah. and I can work and I can do the things that I love and I don't have to worry about violence at my front door. Right. And I don't have to live in this city where everyone's on top of each other and it's so expensive. Right. I mean, yeah, she's stubborn. She's a tourist. <laughs> <laughs> well, where do you think, like, did you see that in anyone growing up? Yes, for sure. I mean... I guess my number one is my mom, like just her determination because she's raising two kids by herself and two black kids and she's Filipino and she had to deal with so much racism from our family, her parents and, and just her cousins, like we're like the black kids with this, like the single mom. And then they have their father and they have like a family where it's just like they're full Filipino and they don't have like... Uh, this brokenness. It's so funny because actually all the kids that are half, like we're mixed. I have a cousin who's German Filipino and Trini Filipino and all of her fathers are just like not in the picture, but it was just really seeing her just, she left my dad. I remember her packing us up and like moving and like moving from the house we were in to moving into a basement and seeing her move from the basement we were living into, uh, into um, a home that she bought. Like it was like a a two-story home and we're no longer in a basement. So to see her do it, she always says to me, she's like, you know, Maya, I don't know how you are so strong. You're so stronger than me. And I'm like, you're like a little tiny Filipino woman trying to like make it in a country that's not your own. Like I'm doing the same thing. Wow. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. I guess she's probably a really amazing woman. Yeah. Yeah. She's so funny because People are like, your mom's so sweet. Like you keep making fun of her because I'm always making fun of my mom because she's sweet. Yes, but she is judgmental. <laughs> she's cooled down a lot now because, you know, she's older. But like back then, like we couldn't get away with anything. Like the mothers in our family, they were so shady. Like they don't give you compliments. They don't give you a pass. Everything is critical. Like they judge, they're critical on everything. Like, oh, why, why does it look like that? Or why, why is this out of place? Or that doesn't look right. So like all, and it's funny because that criticism that all of us, there's eight of us in total, um, myself, my brother, my cousin Jay, my cousin Michael, my cousin Matt, were in creatives. Like my cousin Matt is a director, producer. My brother is a creative director. My cousin Michael is a, an industrial designer. So he designs things for like anthropology, and my cousin Jay is a performer and he's actually doing Moulin Rouge. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's going to explode in everyone's face. <laughs> <laughs> but I honestly, it is because of the criticism out of a place of love, but it's that criticism that really helped our own eyes be sharp and critical with ourselves and the world around us. But nice. I don't know how I got here. <laughs> so... And then you also, so for a year, you're doing these videos uh -huh. and you haven't been able, you haven't monetized it yet. So I'm assuming you're still working as I'm a still working and as a cocktail waitress. Yes. <laughs> so how do you manage the time? Because I know creating videos, creating any type yeah. of content on some consistent basis takes so much time. And if you mm -hmm. have two pretty much full-time jobs on top of that, yeah. how are you finding the time to do this? You know, it's so funny because I think back to then, I'm like, 
girl, how did you do that? <laughs> and I really, uh, sleep was a thing. I would usually stay up till like four or five in the morning working. Um, then I'd sleep from like five to like nine or eight. And then I'd go to work at the photo studio. But I like the photo studio was like, you know, four days a week. And then cocktailing was like, I guess like four days. Um, and it was like usually take place like Wednesday or Thursday towards the weekend. So, I mean, I had time. You just become a master of, I don't even want to say managing my time because I didn't manage my time. I just, I just didn't waste my time. So you'd never see me on a couch. Like you'd never see me sitting still if I wasn't editing. Like I was never like, oh, let's hang out. Like, <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, I'm assuming you're in your young 20s living mm-hmm. in New York. That's what people do. Like everyone I mean, you can out. make time for that like here and there. I can't actually say I didn't go out. But I, I did that like once a week. You just are mindful of. Time. And everyone in New York, especially in the winters, like you don't, unless it's summertime, you, you don't hang out. Maybe, maybe some people do. I just found in my circle of friends, we were all just working. Just the whole, that musical rent is a real thing. You're just working to pay rent. Yeah. You don't have time to like, like here in LA, I remember when I first moved out here, I'm like, so everyone's just rich for no reason. Like <laughs> how are people having coffee I still on the a same Monday thing. afternoon as if it's like Sunday. I'm like, this is bizarre. <laughs> like, and everyone has a nice car and a nice home and drinking coffee on a latte. And I'm like, what? That's, this is, you would never see that in New York or Toronto, maybe Vancouver. This is a West Coast thing, but like sitting down in the middle of the afternoon, not running to work. You have got to be kidding me. Okay. So... <laughs> When did you make the decision to leave New York and where did you end up going after New York? So I did New York a year of being like single in New York for a year. And then I was like, ah, you always wanted to go to LA and you keep flying there for work, go to LA. So then a year after that, I I moved out here and I've been here now for three and a half years. So, and I'm a... Make this now segue. I'm in my 30s. <laughs> but somewhere in between New York and L.A., you had to stop in Minneapolis. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> that whole stint. <laughs> then, oh, my God. When did I? I worked with Prince. Oh, my God. Huh? Let me do the math. He found me on YouTube. Uh, so I had been on YouTube, I guess, for two years. Okay. At that time. And... They reached out to me while I was in, still in New York. Actually, yes. It was the year before I I decided to leave. It all happened at the same time. So once my husband and I were divorced, I'm traveling, working, you know, seeing more money than I've ever seen in my entire life. And then that's when Prince entered as well. And his team were like, Prince wants to like hire you to shoot something. And I'm like, whatever, spam mail, like delete. <laughs> <laughs> all this like weird email sometimes and then I got I got the same message on Facebook the same person and I'm like okay this is this person's really going hard with this Prince campaign so I was like let me respond and I wrote back then they wanted to hop on a call and then I was like okay this is probably real but now I'm my guards up because I've never been a girl to use a guy to get ahead. There's nothing wrong with how you want to play this game, but I have never been like that just because I saw how my mom did it. I'm just like, that's all I know. So now my guards up because I'm like, oh, this nigga right here, he's trying to get all up in this. (laughs) 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 So I was very guarded and then I gave my Google number and then they're like, no, we want an actual number. I was like, shit. (laughs) So I gave my cell number and then I finally spoke to him. I spoke to him when I actually flew out here for the, I think. You spoke with his manager or Prince? No, Prince. I spoke, oh, first I spoke to his, like his team, um, one of the guys, and then they put Prince on. And I had just flown out here to LA and I was living in New York at the time. And he's like, with his Prince voice, like we're talking and he's like, I want you to um, come out to Minneapolis and shoot. And I'm like, I literally just got to LA. I think I I flew in the day before. I'm like, I just got to LA. I I can't. I'm 
I'm here in LA. And then my friends are like, you fucking idiot. This is Prince. Like, you don't say no to Prince. So wait, you turned him down to go to Minneapolis and shoot? Yeah. Okay. Just again, like, I'm, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just like one track mine, I guess. Cause I'm like, no, I flew out to LA. I just got here. I'm doing like YouTube stuff. I'm not going to drop everything for you because what do you want from me? Like, do you really want photos? Like, come on. Like, <laughs> I, and then that's the joke because at this point I had been doing no photography. I had now been a, a complete YouTuber. So I'm like, how are you going to use this angle on me? So he was like, he decided to come out here and Coachella was happening. So he, it was perfect timing. So he, I didn't have to go to Minneapolis. He didn't say F off. <laughs> <laughs> Which he very well could have. Could have. Um, and that would have been the end of that. But he was out here, Coachella. And then he had an album listening party. And that's when I got to meet him. And then like, then my guard was like down more because now I can see his intention. And um, we had like a really good conversation. And that's when we actually, cause I, you know, I'm, I read the Bible and we, and Prince was a Jehovah's witness. So we would talk about the Bible. So like the fact that we had now common grounds of we're talking about our beliefs and, you know, parts of the Bible and like, what we believe and why. Um, and then like now we're going on my photography site, which is like so funny. Cause I'm like, I can't believe Prince has my photography site pulled up. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's like showing me what he likes and why he likes it. And I'm just like, okay, so I don't feel that this is what I thought it was. Cause I thought like, he's just a guy. I think most men, when they're like putting a proposition to a woman out there like that like come here and fly i'll fly i'll take care of this i'm like nothing in this life is free uh -huh. so what do you want from me um but now i'm like okay you really want me to take photos um and i believe that he found me because of my hair tutorials because he's going natural at this point um so i did fly out to minneapolis or minneapolis and then he lives in chanhassen and then i got to uh, photograph his band his band third eye girl and um, he had a ton of musicians. Um, and this was your first time. So you didn't photograph him when you guys were in L.A. Oh, no. So no, you no. only met with him. But then when you flew to Minneapolis, you got to photograph him for the first time? No, I photographed his team. His team. OK. Yeah. His his bands, his the artists, NPG, Third Eye Girl. And then just hang out. Like, that's the other thing, too, because he just wants to he wants his entourage and company. But I'm like. Prince in a sense that I'm like, I have my work and I don't have time to be like playing ping pong. Like <laughs> it's, it's 6 a.m. Go to bed. <laughs> so um, I did that. And then I was in New Orleans for Essence Fest and I was speaking on a panel with Google and I'm like, oh, Prince is here. So I was like, oh, if you guys need um, any help with photos or whatever, I'm here. Let me know. And then that's when they're like, oh, we want you to cover him. He's doing a concert. And I'm like, oh, crap. I didn't mean like that. <laughs> <laughs> I literally meant like. And had you brought your camera? I everything? had brought my camera, but I didn't have the right lenses. Uh-huh. Because I'm like, I don't have lenses for concert photography. I wasn't thinking I'm going to photograph concert. I was just vlogging. So I was like, ah, I don't think I would be the right person for it. I don't have the right gear. And they're like, go get the right gear. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so I literally like had to run into the photo a camera store buy the right lenses and then photographed him at the Essence Fest and then, which and apparently actually, you were at <laughs> we were standing I remember there being a young woman photographing Prince in the pit because there were only three photographers in there okay. at the time and I was like it was you mm -hmm. it was another gentleman and myself and then I got to stay for like three or four songs. And then his bodyguards put me out of bed. <laughs> and I literally was there all night. I was like, click, 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 click. But I remember that. And then when you told me you were there after we shot, I was like, oh my gosh, I remember I didn't you. tell you that. You were oh, like, I you, remember. I didn't. I, I don't know. You out. brought it up. You're like, you were at the Essence Fest. I'm like, I was. You're like, I was too. I'm like, no, you weren't. There was only like I, another photographer who I saw was white, a white dude. I just remember seeing him. And apparently he photographs Beyonce. It's just funny because I find myself in these situations, not because of, I mean, the thing is I can do it. And that's the good thing with having a diverse background because you can do a lot 
And especially when, because, you know, I'm in a position where I can hire people. I'm going to hire the person who has a lot of skills to offer, not just one. So that's how I photographed Prince there. And then, and then, you know, I flew back out to Minneapolis. I flew out there a few times. One time was just, I don't know, we were doing creative. The thing is, he trusted me, so he trusted my input. So I'd help him, like bring people on like my i brought my girls uh, coco and breezy who are eyewear designers oh yeah they designed um these three lens glasses for it was supposed to be for him but then it was just a special edition and then i went out there photographed the band third eye girl and i remember he was looking at the images and was like oh my god i i, I want my photo taken i was like Finally. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. And then the, so the next day I came back to Paisley Park because we would stay at a hotel um, and he had all his clothes and he's like, which one, this one or this one? And the funny thing is like, I viewed him like, yes, he's Prince and he's a unicorn, but he's also a human being and he's so tiny. He's like tinier than me and I'm tiny. <laughs> so... It was like, it was funny because like you see all these like big, you know, and I've been on these shoots where it's like these big produced Vogue shoots and to go from that and even like covering weddings at like the MoMA in New York, like I see money being thrown around and there's like crazy crews everywhere. And to be able to shoot prints the way I shoot like creatives on the weekend was like just me and him. I'm like, this is so dope. Like Exactly. Yeah. Like <laughs> there's like no pressure because it's, I mean, yes, it's prints, but it's not like this whole production so it's literally just like oh i think you should wear that and i think we should go here and, <laughs> and it's so funny because he really is and you know to the whole like having a wide lens like prince yes he's a talented musician because he can play like every instrument and a singer and, and songwriter but he also has a photography eye like he's constantly shooting even if it's not like the best quote unquote quality, but he has that eye. So he'd always, you know, contribute. So it was a collaboration. It was a true, like, let's try this, let's try that. And I remember at one point he, he was like, oh no, girl. And I, I thought to myself, he has been photographed probably thousands of times. So he's had that much experience with all these photographers and he knows what he likes and doesn't like. And that, at that point I was like, I felt a little bit insecure. I was like, oh shit. Like <laughs> he knows, like he knows how to like pigeonhole me into some sort of category that I fall into in his, you know, book of experience. But, um, I, I felt like I got the photos and he was like, okay, thank you. And then I went back to the hotel. Funny. Cause at this point I know how Prince is with, he has like isms, but his, chief of staff, they had called me and they're like, so Prince wants you to delete all the images. Oh, wow. And I was like, okay, cool. But I already know how Prince is. Like, I know that he gets, you know, he can get paranoid and people's intentions because he's been, um, people have taken advantage of him, have tried to exploit him, tried to extort. So I know that he could easily put me in one of those categories because he's having so much fun with me because I'm a fun person. But then when I'm not there anymore, then the the ideas and the, that the mind can start playing games or not even playing games, but you're going to jump to the worst case scenario. So I could be like one of the photographers in his past who like sold the images to a tabloid. And here's like a really awful angle that's unedited. Like when I see photos that surface of celebrities like Beyonce and I'm like, fuck that team for actually fucking doing that. Like, how dare you? Like they entrusted you and you're supposed to showcase the best of the best and you're leaking like, so I know that that could easily be me, but it's, I'm not that person. So I was like, okay, got it. Got it. I'll delete it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, no, I just, just started editing like crazy and I edited like a contact sheet of like, I, I don't know, like six images. And then along with the, the cover of what is now the album cover, but that was just us playing around. And then I sent it over and then they're like, cancel the flight. We're going to cancel your flight. You're going to stay here for a week. And, and this is going to be his album. And oh, I was wow. just like, fuck, cause I had work. And I was like, oh my God, Maya. And I'm like, work, Prince, work. <laughs> and you'd already said yes to work before and denied Prince. So you, you weren't going to do it again. I mean, I, the thing is where he got me was I was already there. Okay. So I was just like, okay. So canceled. They canceled my flight. I stayed there for a week and they flew in a graphic designer from LA 
and he and I, oh my God, we worked like, I don't know how many days. It was like four days of like, I'm talking editing. Like this was crazy editing. I mean, and the, I do this at the photo studio I was working at, but like I usually, cause I was the entry level girl. Like I just do everything around the office. Like I'll do edits here and there, but like I literally had to just edit this like four photos to perfection. I'm telling you this guy's eye again, I'm so glad I had my Filipino mom who's like <laughs> nitpicky because he has the same eye where it's just like, what's that? What's that? And then we had this abstract piece where when you open the, um, the, the CD insert, CD, the insert, yeah. yeah, the insert, there's like an inverted image of the cover. But I mean, if you really tried to look for some hidden symbolism, I guess you could find it. And he found it. He's like, what is that? That's a symbol of that. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> so we literally were working on this one insert. I would say a whole day. First, the, first the graphic designer was working on it. That was supposed to be his thing. And then again, Prince had his whole thing where he's like, I don't trust this. Like, I don't trust him. And he's like, if you're not doing it, I, I don't know what's being done. He's like, so you need to take over this thing. And I had like, now this Photoshop file had like, uh, I don't know, like 20 layers <laughs> of edits on it. So I had to like go in and figure out what this guy was doing. And then what that image is now is not how it started Sorry. out. It was like a completely different color palette. It was like red, green. And, and so I changed it to like my colors of teal and pinks. And <laughs> 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 but yeah, it was, it was a lot, but and we literally would work until five in the morning. Wow. So the overall experience, what would you say are the biggest things you learned from working with Prince over, I don't know how long the relationship lasted? It was like spread out over the course of like a year. But I would say the biggest takeaway was how collaborative he was. From my observation, it was collaboration. He didn't tell people what to do. He would give direction. Like he would listen to what, like, for example, I would listen to in on his jam sessions and the band would be going and he would give them like a note, like try this, try that. They do it. He'd get excited. He's like, yes. And then I, I was even hear it and I'm not a musician like that, but when he would give a note and they would do it, I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. That sounds way better. Wow. And so I just liked that he was a true artist in a sense that he collaborated. It was never like it's me, 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 my ideas, it's my show. Like, no, it, he was, he was literally like jam, just bouncing off. It was like a, a bouncing back and forth process, like very team effort, passing the ball. Um, what else did I learn? The other things that I saw that I was like, oh, fame and money is not what it's cracked up to be. It was, he was very isolated and he was happy when he was creating, but when he wasn't creating, I realized in that moment through Prince, I'm like, I don't ever want to get to a point of this so-called success and be like that. Like, so it made me see like, you have to find happiness where you are now versus where you think you're going to be when you have money and clout. And cause that doesn't help you sleep at night. Yeah, Sure. You want to be out of debt and not worry about that stuff. But I mean, like, it was just a lot of paranoia, like, and and I get it because I, I, I don't, I don't have people, you know, using me or abusing, you know what I mean? So there's a different kind of defense that he has. And I mean, I have defenses too. Like when it comes to like guys, I'm just like, what you want from me? <laughs> you had that get with away. him. You know what I mean? So like, he has the same thing. Like I have, might have it with men, but he might have it with like, what do you want from me? And he like, I had a tour of the whole place and he would like show me his guitars and he's like, oh yeah, my, whatever guitar he was talking about one of the staff stole it. They oh, stole wow. his guitars and just never came back. And I'm just like, that's the kind of stuff that he has to deal with. Like yeah. people stealing from your own home. Like if somebody did that to me, I would be like, I definitely would have my guard up. So so now you're, you've moved to LA, you've worked with Prince. Mm -hmm. What happens in LA? Like what has been this chapter of your life? It's honestly always going back to what do you want? Like, what do you want, Maya? Like what... What do you want? What are you trying to say? How do you want to say that? I feel like now, you know, there is a, like an abundance of opportunities and you can be whatever and do everything. But when you live in a world that's saturated and you see everyone else's life, you got to find that quiet 
time and like talk with yourself and God of like, what for? Like, sure, okay, you you want, you know, you want to get all this money and get all this fame, but then what? What are you going to do with that? So for me, it's just like, okay, you've, you know, you have a million YouTube subscribers and sure I could go for more, but I'm like, why? Well, what do I want to do with that? So that's where I'm at. I'm evolving into the next chapter, which is creating original stories and using my life and creating these characters that can help laugh. Like I'm, I'm essentially making fun of myself, but I know a lot of people will be able to identify with it, but I'm really just trying to continue to storytell and figure out new ways to do that, that are not just limited to your mobile devices or, I mean, so that's part of it. Like telling stories on, you know, oh, scripted content, uh. <laughs> but then it's just like, okay, then what? So it's, it's always like, it's always evolving. So what continues to inspire you to not stay with like, oh, I'm going to just keep doing hair tutorials. I'll just keep doing beauty tutorials. Like now I'm, I want to start telling these stories and creating these characters. Like, what do you find that inspiration? It's just literally living life. The things that happened to me and, and I'm so much older now. I'm 36. <laughs> now I'm going to be yeah, still young. I'm 36. <laughs> and no, because everyone looks at me, they think I'm 26. These these freaking ankle biters <laughs> trying to be hitting on me. I'm like, could you just, <laughs> I'm over that. <laughs> but it's like, well, how can I, how can I tell this story in an educational, informative, in a relatable way? Because, you know, a lot of the stories that are being told in terms of, maybe I should say music videos and stuff, they're, they're very like, high art. And it's just like, who the fuck's going to understand that unless you do a think piece on it? So it's just like, just t figuring out how to tell stories in relatable, understandable ways and just have fun ultimately. Because I, sometimes, you know, the older you get, the more you think like, oh, I got to like be responsible. It's like, yes, you have to be responsible, but you have to have fun because you're going to die. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I only have a few more questions, but before I ask them, I just wanted to thank you for your time because I know how extremely yeah. busy you are. Yeah. And just, I want to thank you for being so inspiring to so many people and creating yeah. your own and just following your own path versus listening to what others say you should do. Yeah. But my last couple of questions, when you started working with brands, so if you've worked with Disney, CoverGirl, American Express, Macy's, after they found you creating your own content, like how were you able to stay true to yourself and not conform to what the brand necessarily wanted? Well, it's always like, what are you trying to say? Because if I don't understand that, then I won't work with you. And I've turned down a lot of deals that I'm, my agents and managers are like, my, you fucking crazy trick. And I'm like, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't resonate. But you have to know that there's always going to be opportunities. So make sure that whoever you collaborate, whether it's brand or person, you guys see eye to eye. Because you're going to waste so much time trying to convince people of your story versus working with the people that get it. So I only work with people that get it. I know last time we talked, you said you had come out here and you had built a team mm -hmm. and it's a structure around you to help right. run it. And the could you talk about like some of the challenges you face when you built that team? I just do things out of gut and intuition. And, you know, so I built this, you know, large production team. I mean, it's not large, it's five people, but it was a lot. And I went from zero to 60 with not a whole lot of know-how and just trial and error. And it was great. But then I also ran myself into the ground because it's just like, I don't have enough financial resources to afford the best. So basically shit hits the fan and then you got to like figure it out and pick up the pieces. But it's always just a learning experience. Like every, I, I look at everything now. I'm just like, okay, thank you. That's, you know, school of hard knocks, you know, class in session. I always look at everything like tuition. I'm like, oh, my just blew through like, you know, quarter of a million dollars. I'm like, tuition. <laughs> that was my graduate degree. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally like, you know, it's just I'm paying to learn. And at the end of the day, what are you going to do? I'm going to die. You're going to bury me or you're going to cremate me. And then what? What do I have to take with me to the other place that I think I'm going to? Very true. What, do, what am I leaving behind? So. And so for people that, that follow you, that you inspire, what, what's the biggest thing you want them to take away from your message and your story? The biggest message I want people to take away that are watching are just live your life. Don't let shame and fear hold you back. And if you do, don't let it hold you back completely. Like it's always going to be there, but despite it being there, just keep going. 
you can listen to other people's advice and sure you could take it. I guess through your own experience, you're going to figure out that stuff slows you down and you're ultimately going to go where you want to go. It's just, are you going to take the scenic route, the direct route, the traumatic route? Like, I, I don't know which route you want to take, but I know it's always best to just listen to yourself. And that becomes confusing when there are millions of voices online telling you what you should like or want and have. I, I would really say just really spend time off of your phones and whatever media when like first thing in the morning, last thing at night and just get real with yourself like if you have to journal, pray, whatever you need to do, but get to a place where it's your voice and not the voice of the people you're following. That's amazing advice. So on that note, thank you for your time. Yeah. And hopefully everyone will remain shameless. <laughs> Stay shameless, Trex. <laughs> I really hope you enjoyed that episode. If you did, please share it with your community on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Snapchat, and write a review on iTunes. My goal is to inspire and help as many people as possible. And by you sharing, we will be able to do this together. You can also shoot me an email if you have any suggestions. Thank you for your time.